Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another edition of Golick and Smetty. I am Mike Golick Sr. She is Jess Matana. We are Golick and Smetty, and I've been doing this a while now, Jess. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to start. I didn't tell you where I was going to start. No, Um, I'm scared. No, no, don't be scared. Again, this is a compliment (laughs) to you. To when I'm looking forward to us doing this show together and doing it over you baking some sort of mm-hmm. dessert. Because that's what we're going to do. We're just let the cameras roll and we're going to talk sports while you're making something. Okay. And I'm I'm like, your, I'll be your assistant yes. and then I'll eat. But I saw something the other day that you made. Oh, my God. Was it a key lime loaf? It was a key lime loaf, Mike. Oh. I saw key limes at the store here in Miami, and I bought them, and I was thinking, I don't really want to make a pie because, you know, I was, I was not sure if I was going to finish the whole pie. So I thought a loaf will, will last better, and that I can bring into work to let everyone share. So I made the loaf with the key limes. I, I have no, I'm not going to lie. No, I love key lime pie. Like when I'm eating that like Southern food and stuff, especially like in Nashville or something, I'll get, you know, you know, I'll get that hot chicken sandwich or something. Mm-hmm. And then for dessert, they have the key lime pie or the banana pudding with oh, the vanilla, pudding. vanilla wafers in there. So I mean, good. oh my God. So I'm a sucker for both of those. So I've, I love both of those, but I I've really gotten into the, the key lime pie. And when I saw that, I'm not going to lie, I've never saw seen a key lime loaf before. So I was very intrigued. And then I saw the loaf. And then you were pouring some sort of icing yeah, over glaze. the top of it. It was a key and lime bought, glaze. Yeah. I bought lost my mind uh, on that <laughs> one. So I, I have never seen that before. So I mean, just a regular loaf, like you would make a banana loaf or yeah. any other kind of loaf. Yeah, it's just a regular, a regular limey loaf. Oh. It's extremely moist. So what you do, Mike, when it's done, you pop, like you poke some holes right, in it, and then you right. pour the glaze in, and so the glaze like seeps through it. Oh. So it's like almost like wet and and like sticky, and it's just oh, it's so good. I had it for breakfast the last like three mornings in a row, and then I brought it into work, and everyone was attacking it. See that that's the thing. I mean, that's something you can eat any time it's got to be yeah. good warm it's got to be great cold in the morning and i can't imagine that the the gang in the shipping container how much mm. they just ha- I, I, did you only bring one loaf in i mean i don't know how it was enough for all of them it was it was enough i mean it's a pound cake technically so it was right, it's right. dense like i i actually picked up the loaf to bring to work the other morning and i picked it up and i was like holy shit this is heavy and then I was like, well, it is literally a pound cake. There is a pound of, of butter in here. So it makes sense that it's so heavy. But like the the sheer mass of this loaf, Mike, I think if you ate more than like two slices at a time, you would probably just have to fall asleep because it is so dense. 
Jess, I can tell you right now, I would have been able to eat that entire pound cake. Okay, fair enough. I, I, I mean, am. I'll, a... I'll make it for you. I think I'm going to see you in a few weeks. Here. Yes. Maybe, I'll, maybe oh. I'll bring you a loaf. Unbelievable. Where did you learn to? And for those that don't know, you got to follow Jess uh, on Insta. What, what is your what's your handle? It's just my name, just Jessica Smetana. Okay. I, it is it is unbelievable. I mean, where did you learn to bake like this? I taught myself. You I mean, I, I watch a lot of baking shows, but yeah, I mean, I kind of just. I'm good at following a recipe, Mike. That's all for me. Baking, you just got to read the recipe and you're fine. Just follow all the rules. It's not like cooking. Cooking, you can kind of like put a little dash of this, a little splash of that. But baking is chemistry. If you go off the, the path and you don't know what you're doing, it's a disaster. So I just got really good at following recipes. And now I can kind of switch things up when I want and, and ad lib things. But yeah, self-taught. Please tell me your boyfriend likes bakery products. You know, he's not really a dessert oh, person. Oh, no, no. I mean, that's why I don't really make pies very often because oh. I'll just end up eating the whole pie. He's the kind of person who, like, eats cheese for dessert. Oh, no. Yeah. There's a place for cheese and it's not dessert. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to talk to that young man at some point. Well, I <laughs> I look forward to to dabbling in the, the baking that you do. And, again, at some point, we're going to do this show in person. And while you're making something spectacular, and I uh, I look forward to it. Wow. It looks so good. And I'd never thank seen I, thank a you. key lime loaf before. I'd always seen key lime pie. So uh, I knew I wanted to, to, to ask you about it. So uh, kudos to you on that one. <laughs> I had to get that out there. Had to. So I hope somebody, I hope people start following you on that and watch what you bake because it, uh, it is spectacular. Okay. I had to get that out. On to, on to some sports. First thing, we're going to talk a little basketball uh, later with uh, with Abby Chin, NBC Sports Boston Celtics host and reporter about the series that's going on uh, that Boston split in Golden State. Uh, big win for them in game one, and then Golden State wins game two in that one in a bit of a blowout toward the end. So uh, we'll, we'll talk some of the NBA finals at that point and where we are in that. Uh, but, but also other things going on, Jess, I'm going to get to the – the NCAA softball and baseball, because I, okay. I, I, I need I, an I, update from you. Yeah. You know, I, I used to watch My dad loved watching that. God rest his soul, loved watching. And we would sit down and watch the baseball and softball together all the time. And it's just stuck over the years. And I just, I so enjoy watching that. But before that, the controversial thing that's getting ready to start up this weekend is that um, the new live golf tour, the Saudi Arabia backed mm -hmm. golf tour that, where Phil Mickelson came out and talked about it and then basically had to go underground for about four months because yeah. basically putting his foot in his mouth, uh, Greg Norman heading up that whole thing. And, you know, the Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia's again, backing it and their, their horrible uh, track record, you know, with, with uh, um, uh, you know, the, the, the reporter that was killed and, and so many, so many things that morally you just look at and just kind of, it just looks horrible. Uh, with what they've done and Phil basically saying, well, you know, hopefully they've learned from their mistakes. And I mean, just said stuff where we're like, what the hell are you saying? And, but now he has come out and said he is golfing on this tour as have a bunch of other golfers. Mm -hmm. Now, not a lot of name golfers, but right. Dustin Johnson, a big name is getting 125 million, basically signing bonus mm -hmm. to play in this league. 
Phil is getting 200 million. There's eight tournaments. Each one, the purse is $25 million. They're basically throwing money at golfers mm -hmm. to try and get them to come over there. And what we don't know yet is what's going to happen with the PGA, because you're a member of the PGA and they were all the guys that, that tried to get into this, this Saudi Arabia uh, tour and stay in the PGA. Basically Jay Moynihan, the, the uh, director said, no, uh, you right. can't cross over. So what are they going to do? What's the PGA going to do? Are they going to suspend these guys? Are they going to not let them come back and golf real quick? Next weekend is the U S open, right. which is, which is USGA. It's not PGA. Mm -hmm. And Phil plans on playing in that, but what, what, what has kind of been your overall thought of this, this new league, kind of the people running it, their history, what yeah. they're about and guys jumping into it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack. I mean, I think, it, they've Greg Norman in particular has gotten a lot of pushback since this whole league started a couple years ago. And some of that has, it, it seems like there are sponsors and certainly there's no television rights deal for right. this yet. It's yeah, going to be, be streaming right? YouTube, yeah. I guess, because yeah. I don't think the, the networks who have partnerships with the PGA want to get involved now with live. So, I mean, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know how you could say it's good for golf because part of the reason that Phil got in trouble was because he claimed that he was doing this and supporting this new league to kind of blow up the PGA's model, which he claims is keeps money from the players and is, is overly restrictive. So this was a way to like kind of push the PGA into changing a little bit. Um, it's unclear, you know, how that, how being part of this, Saudi backed league is going to make the PGA better. And, yeah. and so a lot of these golfers are being grilled now by the media, because this is the first weekend of the, this new tour about how they feel about Saudi Arabia's human rights violations. And so they're having to answer some really difficult questions. And then you have people who are saying, well, there are other sports leagues who have entanglements with Saudi Arabia and China and other countries um, that have bad track records on these things. So what's the difference and why are we putting blame on, on Greg Norman? And I guess the, the argument for that is that this is a new league and this is not operating under an existing like sports system, the way that, you know, formula one or, or soccer, like they're doing business with these countries also, but in maybe a different way. And that's not to excuse it. I'm just right, saying right. why this is getting more coverage now because this is a brand new thing. Right. Um, so, I mean, it just seems like a complete mess. And I think that all of the players who are making excuses for it, I mean, it's very clear that the incentive to play is the huge paycheck, like you said, and that is at least honest, but it seems like a lot of the players are tiptoeing around that as their answer. Um, and so you have a lot of players who are, who are part of the PGA, who are now backing the PGA and saying they wouldn't join this tour, who are probably, you know, passing up millions of dollars. Maybe they'll change their minds at some point if the, this new tour does feel like it's getting legitimized by either like a television partner or sponsors, or, you know, maybe people just become fatigued by the story and, and stop caring about it. I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but it is certainly interesting for golf because you still have a situation where the four majors are what I think most golf fans care the most about. Right. Those are not necessarily going to be impacted by this, but it does put them in an interesting spot where if they, you know, if the masters welcomes back Phil with open arms, are they going to piss off PGA who they have a relationship with 
and you know vice versa so it's just really a huge mess it really is and again i i look at what jay moynihan's going to do is he going to be strict about this is he going to stomp his foot down and say i mean are there going to be lawsuits like right exactly lawsuits or whatever but but i i'm, I'm with you that you know like you said there is a lot to unpack because there are other entities that people are involved with that don't have the greatest track record and, and we don't say anything about it uh you know or some do and some don't everybody right. came down hard and i think on this because i agree with you because it's something new mm-hmm. and it's really kind of fresh with the with the human rights violations and certainly from the reporter that was killed you know just like wait what 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 are you doing jumping into bed with these people and some of these golfers i'm sure are like listen uh, I'm not going to solve any of this. It's a league. It's a way, you know, to, to, to make, make money, money. Yeah, to monetize and, their careers while they're, some of them are past their prime now, like Sergio yeah. Garcia, Phil even is probably, you know, not going to win sure. any more tournaments. He's in his like 50, late fifties, early sixties, I think. I mean, at, at this point, at this point, I, I wish people would just tell the truth and say, I'm doing it for the money. You know, you hear all these, all these, now, now again, I'm, I, I don't want to, I, I guess, I guess, well, that's exactly what I'm doing. You heard Kevin Na come out and say, you know, that, that we should be able to play where we want or as a free agent, this and that. You're playing for the money. I mean, Kevin Na made about $38 million in his career and earnings. Good, good amount, you know, over a stretch mm-hmm. of time. And he's going to, he has a chance to make a ton more. Phil, I mean, talked about, oh, I can spend more time with Amy, his wife. And don't get me wrong. I love when you can spend more time with your family, but he can spend as much time with her as he wants now. Right. I mean, this isn't going to impact the amount of time. He can choose to not play tournaments on the PGA Tour and spend right. time with her right. if he wants. So to, I just wish you would say, you know what, man, what a bag. I couldn't, I couldn't turn down this bag of money, but nobody wants to say that when everybody knows that's what it's about. So it will be interesting. Again, there's only eight tournaments in this. And and listen, I'm not going to sit here and begrudge anybody to going doing it. If they want to go do it uh, for the money, what, whatever their reason they say, but I know a lot of it, a guy, at least in my opinion, a lot of it is for the money. You go ahead and do it. Everybody has to make follow their own moral compass. And I've heard, seen many people talk about this, say, hey, they, they can't worry about what, what the Saudi Arabians do, you know, and, and what they're history is they're going to play golf and they have a chance to play golf and make a lot of money. That's what they want to do. They have every right to do it. And they do, they do. And others say, Oh my God, you know, how can they do that? Knowing the the human rights violations that are going on there, that they would do that. And you can have that opinion as well, but every player has every right to make the decision they want. And then I guess my point is now, what are going to be the ramifications? What's going to happen, you know, from the PGA tour, if you're a member, what are they going to come down and do? Are they going to suspend you? Are they going to boot you? And then to your point, are there going to be lawsuits because of it? But, and it's all starting this weekend with the first live tournament in London, again, where the purses are huge and they only play 54 holes. Mm-hmm. They play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And like, I think the winner gets $4 million and then it breaks. Everybody gets some money. Right, Everyone gets a lot of money. Right. I guess, I guess Mike, to your point, like, I, I think uh, it's, I think a lot of people would like to see professional athletes make ethical decisions that they agree with, even though they, you know, passing up X millions of dollars is a, is a difficult decision to make. So I think they're, you know, of course you can do whatever you want if you're a professional athlete, but 
um, there are going to be consequences and some of the consequences maybe that fans now view you as lacking in, in credibility right, or right. any sort of ethical guide or compass. Um, so it, it, it is just a complete mess. I, I do not know how the PGA Tour will respond now. I, I don't know if they were expecting DJ to join. I think that might have been yeah, a blow. Agreed. But aside from DJ and Phil, like there's not really that many golfers who are joining the new tour that I think people tune into to watch on a, on a regular PGA weekend. And again, I think fans generally care the most about the four major tournaments anyways. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And, you know, it's interesting, everybody listening out there, you know, it's kind of up, up to what, what would your moral compass say? A lot of people say, don't you have enough money? Like DJ and, and um, uh, Phil, I mean, have, have a ton of money, but right. you know, that that's not for us to say, you know, that you can't try and get more. I mean, you, you have every right to try and get more. I completely understand that. And then there are plenty of guys who, as you mentioned, you've never heard of that are going into this, who have barely made any money and are saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take care, try and take care of my family. So it's all, it's interesting out there of what you, the listener who are listening or watching this now, listening or watching on YouTube, what would you do if you were making decent money and you got offered, you know, a, a golden bag of money? I mean, I'm looking at some of the names. I mean, there's some recognizable Kevin Na, Sergio Garcia, um, I think we, like the average, the average ranking in the world standings was like 120th yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, know. I'm there, not, I'm not a statistician, but no. it, it's not, there's not a oh, ton of not. people near the top. There's a, a lot of people near like the middle of the rankings or the bottom of the rankings. Yeah. Like Dustin is 13. Louis Ustase in his 20. Kevin Nas 33. Sergio 54. You have Lee Westwood 74. Ian Poulter. These are at least names I know that are out there. And then you start getting into names I haven't even heard of into the hundreds, uh, as you said, a number of players. So, you know, one, one guy here, uh, James Piot, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. He's ranked 1,731st, you know, so. Is he, he French? I, I Probably. I mean, so. It's probably uh, P.O. Brooks Kepka's yeah, probably is. Brooks Kepka's brother, Chase, is in this, in, in this league. Oh, no, he's uh, from Ohio. Yeah. Uh, Oh, he is. Oh, good job. <laughs> Maybe he's still French. So we'll, we'll see. But but it is a question. Everybody out there, you know, if you give your opinion, would you do it? You know, for that for that large bag of money with everything that may come along with it. And who knows in a year or just a year or two of this, people may not even care anymore of, of who's backing it or why they're backing it. And let's see if it turns into anything. I don't know if it will. I have no idea. But certainly I I'll say this, Jess, for Phil going underground the way he did, losing his sponsors the way he did. And he did an interview with SI.com and basically didn't talk about the sponsors. He said that'll that'll all at some point take care of itself. He was really vague on that. He, basically, you wonder, you know, if any of these sponsors will come back, you know, that, that mm -hmm. have bagged these guys and if, if they're going to stay away. Uh, because listen, sponsors sponsor these golfers for a reason so that millions of people buy what these golfers are sponsoring. And all of a sudden, if everybody's mad at these golfers, they're not going to buy their stuff. Right. So, and like some of yeah. these sponsors might have a relationship with the PGA as well. Right, like our, right. RBC, which dropped Dustin Johnson after he announced he was joining this tour and they 
back the Heritage Open in Hilton Head and I believe the Canadian Open. So. Which is also this weekend, the same weekend as <laughs> right. the first this was event. This was DJ's like DJ's, title, yes. you know, yes. title event for his sponsor. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of money tangled up in it. I mean, money is, is generally the motivation between most things that uh, move and shake in the sports world. So I don't know. It will be interesting to see how it unfolds. But um, I guess... Uh, people who were surprised that Phil came out of hiding to, to kind of join it and, and thought, you know, oh, well, maybe he's, maybe he realized after DJ joined that, like, it, it wouldn't be a big of that big of a hit to his reputation after all. I think he was intending to do this all along. I think so I too. Just, yeah. I don't think he had any, I think the, the interview that he gave to Alan Shipnuck where he, you know, called the Saudi Arabia scary and all of that right. was probably not something that he had uh, done intentionally. But I think that, you know, the backlash to that was not as damaging to him and his reputation. Well, maybe to his reputation, but not yeah, as damaging yeah. to him and his decision making as as people might have thought. Yeah. Yeah. So that 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 tees off this weekend again. They announced the announcing crew, and I haven't heard, never heard of anybody of them. There, well, Arlo said, White, he's a main oh, soccer. Oh, right, for soccer, soccer that's right. Uh, You're right, I take play that Play-by-play announcer right. on NBC. So he also, so I assume is leaving NBC? I'm not even really sure, but NBC yeah. has, a, has a PGA relationship, so that is an interesting one. That will be, and as you mentioned, not on TV, so it'll be on YouTube or streaming, wherever it's going to be, but yeah, not – not on TV at this point. So we'll see if it grabs some traction or what kind of news uh, that it could get, but that's been kind of, kind of big news out there. Um, as far as what's going on in the NCAA, watching the baseball and the softball baseball will be pretty quick because they're still, you know, in the super regionals where the softball is getting ready to start the finals. And all I'm concerned about, this is where you and I just as Notre Dame grads, you see Notre Dame in it again, last year, they got knocked out in the super regional by Mississippi state. This year, uh, they are now in it again. Unfortunately, and I think it starts <laughs> Friday, they play the top team in the country in Tennessee in yep. best two out of three. So, uh, will they have their work? I guess we'll say we have, they have their work cut out for them. Mike. I turned on the Notre Dame baseball game on Saturday night, and they had a lead. They, I think they hit two home runs early on. They were leading Georgia State uh, or Georgia Southern. And yeah. Then Georgia Southern took the lead back, I think maybe in the fourth or fifth inning. And I was like, you know what? Notre Dame football causes me enough stress <laughs> in my life. I don't need to do, I mean, between the basketball teams and the football team, I can't add, and the hockey team, I can't add baseball to this. I have to turn this off. And then they ended up winning the game. So yeah. I, I could have kept it on, but it's just, it's too stressful for me, Mike. I, I'm already too invested in the other Notre Dame sports teams to, to watch the baseball this year. Well, luckily they got through. So again, they're, <laughs> they're, they start on Friday, uh, best two out of three series uh, to try and move on. Like I said, last year knocked out uh, by Mississippi State. We'll see what they can do with the number one team in the country in Tennessee. Uh, as far as the women's side, I, I watched, I've been watching it and I watched the elimination the other day of um, Oklahoma and UCLA. And it was interesting, you know, UCLA needed a win to, to force a, a, an elimination game, a, a final game in there. And they got it thanks to, how about this, Tom Brady's niece. No way. Maya Brady plays for UCLA. And the game, they surprisingly beat Oklahoma 7-3. to three. Maya Brady had two home runs. There were, 
you know, obviously in the, in the telecast, they're showing the tweets from Tom and pictures of Tom and her together. And in the match, when it was Tom and Aaron Rodgers against Josh Allen and Mahomes, Tom was talking about that coming up. And come on, Tom. I mean, I don't. Tom Brady needs to stop making everything about himself. Am I right? Uh, <laughs> Get out of here. He was very. Complimentary. He, I saw he was at the Suns, uh, the Connecticut Sun Vegas Aces game last weekend, Mike. And I was like, what? What is Tom Brady doing here? Well, he was in. I, was, I appreciate his his support of women's sports. Well, but. I I think he was in Vegas <laughs> because that's where the match was. Ah, uh, that makes sense. So okay. so they they played there, but he said he was going to watch, and yeah, his niece did a great job. Two home runs again. UCLA beat Oklahoma seven to three. So they went into the elimination game, and Oklahoma did what they do best. They shut out UCLA fifteen to nothing. They run ruled them. I think I think that was their fortieth time this year, Jess. They've run ruled a team in five innings which is unbelievable. They have the, yeah. the they have the, incredibly dominant. They have the greatest home run hitter in of all time in Jocelyn Allo. She has 120 home runs. It's absurd. What and and this uh the, this pitcher Hope Trotwine, I think that's her name, a transfer from North Texas who has an absurd ERA. They are so dominant. And now they're playing Texas in the finals. That'll be starting. We're, we're taping this on a Tuesday. I think they start that on a Wednesday. Texas was unseated. And they're the, I think they're the first unseated team to make it into the finals. So, I mean, heavy, heavy, heavy money on Oklahoma on this one. No doubt about it. I think they're going to roll Texas. But, hey, that's why they play the game. We'll see. But it was it was fun to watch, you know, to see that Jocelyn Allo. It was a lot, it was a fun broadcast to watch as they're just knocking the ball all over the park. But uh, they are a dominant, dominant team. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Abby Chin is a host and reporter for NBC Sports Boston. She's been covering the Celtics all season and covering the NBA Finals. So welcome, Abby. Thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us how everyone around the Celtics is feeling after Sunday night. Everyone is feeling fine. I think... The pervasive thought is if the Celtics can just take care of the ball, not turn it over 20 some odd times, they put themselves in a pretty good position in these games, in both of those games. And so, uh, of course, the big talk around here is Draymond Green and what the Celtics can do to deal with all of his shenanigans. But the Celtics as a group really have confidence in what they are able to do as a team and know that if they can just take care of the ball a little better, play a little better, follow the game plan, they would be in good position. You know, along those lines, when you talk about Draymond Green, everybody thought Golden State got pretty lucky. He didn't get teed up that second time. Uh, and maybe though, when you're in Boston, you do get teed up that second time. Do you think there'd be a little bit of a difference there with the, the air of the garden there? I think there will be, especially because you get those fans raining down on you and that anger. I mean, I was pretty impressed with the garden crowd. They have been phenomenal always in the postseason, but particularly it, it has been from the jump in these playoffs. When Kyrie Irving, the first time he came in with the Nets and that game one, and it was 
from the moment he ran out of the tunnel to every time he touched the ball, the garden crowd let him hear it and let them know that they are not his a fan of his. And so they have been on it all season. So yes, I am sure they will be aware of that. I do think it is up to the Celtics to not buy into that as much and get as distracted and taken out of their game as they were in game two. But Mike, I do want to ask you, I mean, so the NBA, the referees, Steve Jabby was asked on the broadcast, you know, you do give Draymond some leeway here because you're not going to give him his second ejection or his second tech and eject him from a game in the NBA finals. That would, I mean, that kind of inconsistency just does not seem right to me. Well, they don't, you're, you're right. Listen, the only thing, I don't care what sport it is as a, as a former athlete is you wanted consistency. Yeah. You know, what you call early, call late, but we know it doesn't work that way. And also in the finals, it doesn't work that way. The rest don't want to be the one that knocks out a superstar. And that well, takes him out. So they're, they're going to give a lot of leeway there, Jess. Mike, it's like calling pass interference in the Super yeah. Bowl, right? Yeah. Like you just kind of sometimes let things slide because it makes the game a little bit more exciting. You want to keep your, your best players in and you don't want to make the wrong call and then, you know, change the outcome of the game, I guess. So the other side of that is, do you, do you go to, you know, do you, you go to Draymond Green. Now you got a guy in Marcus Smart who basically, you know, can can do that. But do you do anything out of character to try and push him along? Or are you just playing within your your normal framework? Because Abby, I think for players, if you start to do things out of character, that's when you get yourself into trouble. And that's what I was just gonna say. I've been asked twice if the Celtics just need to have some sort of unified response. You either go all in on answering every single thing that he says and does and going right back at him, or you have to just completely ignore it and move on. And, and I mean, basically pretend like it's not happening, not allow him to do those sorts of things. And so for this Celtics team, you're right. They do have Marcus smart. And then they also have Grant Williams who Draymond green today belittled a little bit and said, you can't say that you have been looking up to me your whole career and then come out on the court and try and talk smack to me in the NBA finals. And so I agree with you in that you can't get too far away from who you are naturally. And Jason Tatum, while we do see some emotion from him, it does come out from time to time. And, and he is super competitive. He just is not necessarily a trash talker. Jalen Brown isn't either. For those guys, that is not natural for them. And so I would say that you, you cannot just start going tit for tat because it's not natural to them. And so they do need to focus on. And it's something that Ime Udoka has preached from the beginning, and that is breaking them of their bad habits. Jason Tatum, we know, has such a propensity to get wrapped up into the officiating and to argue so many calls. And so if they can just get in that mindset where none of it matters, you just move on to the next play, that San Antonio Spurs mindset, we saw it from the Bucks too, I think they'll put themselves in a better place. Yeah, stay in character. I mean, right. you have to, there are, there are players on that team that will, if they need to, needle with Draymond can do it Jason doesn't need to be one of them that that's kind of not his game so don't go out of character and plus you made it to the final so do what you do that helped get you there which which leads me to the question of at one point this team was what 18 and 20 after a loss to the Knicks and you're wondering okay you see talent on this team but they're not putting it all together now here they are again great offensive players they have, but their defense as a former defensive player, I know in another sport, I appreciate great defense, but 
that turn, Abby, when you saw that in the season to that team then and this team now? Well, I will say, you guys, it was bad early on. It was November when Marcus Smart sat in that post-game press conference and called out Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and told them that they need to pass more in a game where he had zero assists. And uh, it was something that most of us who have been covering the Celtics for such a long time, we're so used to Brad Stevens and he would never call a player out by name in a public setting. Never. In his eight years as head coach, he never called just one, you know, used a specific name. And so it was shocking for all of us to hear that. And then the very next game, the Celtics are in Orlando and the mid game, there's a report from Woj that drops that they had to have a players only meeting in Orlando. And I had spoken to um, Grant Williams, that morning, he just said everything that we had was handled internally. And so the fact that that then became public really um, made me very concerned about this group. But ultimately, what it did, and Jackie Mack had a great report about Ime Udoka and his first year as head coach and the meeting that he had with Marcus after that. And he told him, this is your mess. You've got to fix it. But what it did was opened up the ability for these guys to have very open conversations with each other and, and hold each other accountable. And he may said he's held those meetings once a month throughout the season. And it has made a world of difference because like you said, they had all these, all of this offensive talent, but putting it together as a team playing unselfishly, but then also really buying in on the defensive end is where they have made that turn. And in and, and Ime Udoka's system, it is just, they have the ability to switch one through five, which is so rare in the NBA, and there's not a weak link in there. And so their ability to smother teams I, is something that I haven't seen before. And so it really, I mean, I don't know when I started buying in, I think it was, they went on, they won a bunch of games in January, but it was against some subpar competition. But there was a West Coast trip late in the season and Ime challenged these guys. They went one for four on their first West Coast trip and it was ugly and lost in like bad games to the Clippers without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Brandon Boston just went nuts on them. Um, and so this, the second West Coast trip where they really showed they beat the Warriors on that trip, um, to me, made it feel like it was real. And then the fact that they have shown so much resiliency throughout this playoff run, I really am just not going to doubt these guys until I'm proven wrong. So you gave most of the credit then to Ime Udoka for the, for the turnaround and for like uh, specifically after game two of the finals, you said like you, you're not, you don't think that the Celtics team's concerned. And is that maybe like a sense of like cool and calmness that he's then passing down through the team? I do. I, I give a lot of credit. I mean, we have to give credit to Jason Tatum, who has clearly taken his game to another level. And I also want to shout out Al Horford, who at 36 <laughs> years young is playing as well as he is and carrying this team for long stretches. Um, but also, you know, just that core group of Jalen and Marcus and, and then being able to put those egos aside and really come together. But yeah, it was Ime. I mean, it was, I don't want to disparage Brad in any way, but it was clear that they needed a new voice, a different voice and a different way of motivating them. Um, and what Ime has done has really, uh, excuse me, um, has clearly made a huge difference in this group, the way that they, just the confidence that they exude. They were always confident, but Ime just gives them a certain level of swagger and challenges, isn't afraid to call them out, challenges them um, in ways that he knows that he can and, and really has a strong grasp of the group. 
Um, I think to me, the most telling was at the end of the season when the Celtics could have rested some guys, they chose not that they had that much of a choice because the Bucks played earlier in the day. And so you knew that they were going to um, lose that final game of the season and fall into that position. But Ime flipped that on its head and just said, no, we, we own this. We are not afraid of anyone. That is how we are going to look at this. And that's how we should look at it. That's who we are. And so, um, yeah, I do give Ime Udoka a lot of credit in this and just the way he has found to reach these guys and to motivate them. So let, let's go back a, a moment to Al Horford because what a, what a great story. It's always great when you see a veteran get in a position to grab a ring, but he's one who is so productive in doing it. It's like, you know, he's gone back 10 years in age. So just give us a little about on him and his personality being around him and just enjoying this moment like he is. Um, I will tell you. So for game seven in Miami, I was in the corner getting ready to walk on the court. And I knew we were going to talk to Al Horford after that, a guy who has won two, one back-to-back championships in college. And this is his 15th year in the league, but has played the most amount of games to never reach an NBA finals. And so you just, you know how badly he wants this. And so I'm standing in the corner in Miami and Jimmy Butler launches that three. And I was sure it was going in. I had a terrible angle, but I was just like, Oh my gosh, for them to lose it in this way. I was, it was, uh, I just felt like I got punched in the gut and then it didn't go in and they won. And then Al Horford runs over and collapses on the ground in front of me. And so it kept, it was everything in me to not start crying from that, just to know the emotions that he was going through. But, um, it has been truly remarkable. You have to give a ton of credit and he will be the first to do it to that Oklahoma City Thunder training staff and medical staff. And the fact that he basically got six months off to repair his body and get him ready for a run like this, to be able to do these things at 36 years old. But he said he also used that time to study the game, see how it's changed, see where he fits. Um, and so it is remarkable what he's doing at this age but then when you think about just how much it means to him and how badly he wants it whenever he you see him raise his level you know why and you know what it means to him he's he's the reason that non-boston people maybe can tolerate boston winning another <laughs> championship right because uh -huh. it's like you don't want boston to win another championship but if al horford won one like i guess that's pretty neat oh that makes that that sounds good. Yes. <laughs> You're saying people aren't huge fans of Marcus Smart or <laughs> uh, no, just Boston. <laughs> I mean, they're they're young. Like they have their whole careers ahead of them. Like Al Horford yes. feels like he's been in the league a while. He he deserves one. I agree. As far as now the the series shifting to Boston, it's a team. And I remember having to answer this, you know, from the NFL side when you would lose more than a few games at home. Why are you losing at home? Why and I never really had a great answer for that. So it's not like I'm expecting these guys to give a great answer for it, but I believe they have lost, I think four at home uh, during these playoffs. And, and I would imagine that got to have their, them scratching their heads a little bit about that. And, and you're right, Mike, we do. We ask them all the time, like, what is going on? What happens? What's the difference? And you mentioned uh, being at home, they're eight and two on the road. If they had gotten that win in game two, they would be the winningest NBA playoff team in history. So um, 
I'll go back to Ime. He has instilled a road warrior mentality in this group from the beginning. And then I will just say they just, and, and I don't know if you can chalk it up purely to maturity, but they do have a problem in dealing with success and winning. And, and um, after game five of the Eastern Conference Finals, and everyone was basically anointing them to the NBA Finals and saying that, that this series was over after that, Ime tried to tell them and they were trying to tell themselves they're like we need to play game six as if we just lost our backs are against the wall we've got to fight and claw to get out of this and then they just couldn't do it and so um you know we ask them all the time they say if we knew it wouldn't happen yeah. and so I don't think anyone actually has an answer for that but it is something that um is the only reason I think that there are still questions about their championship medal out there. You know, those, those, those championship, that DNA, that is something that you go into a game six and you close them out with. And that's something that maybe the warriors we know already have, but this group with the Celtics are still learning to do. As far as the, the, I guess the other part of the game, the, the, the game for the fans and the game, you know, in the media, what you're doing, Talk about your guys. You, you guys are kind of out there with your social media, and I mean, and listen, it's it's kind of the way to kind of the way to be the, to be now to kind of to kind of to, to, to grab people's attention. So, can you can you jump into that a little bit on on your guys' thought process behind how you shoot it all out there? You're talking about my social media, no, or no, the like Celtics. The Celtics, yeah, you know, like with like the the post game graphics, you know, and. And kind of the, the weird fonts and stuff. Oh like yes, that. okay. Yeah. NBC Sports Boston. I I get what you're saying. Uh, yes. And our um, graphics that are saying you know Al Horford, ten rebounds, but infinitely beautiful eyes. Things like yeah. that. Yes. 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 Exactly. And yeah. Marcus Smart, you love like heart and soul, or love and trust him. Um, so that is the work of we have a really small but efficient and strong production group. And uh, I don't think he'd appreciate it, but Mark Hazlett is uh, the guy who is in charge of those things. We also have a Max Letterman who um, is very outspoken on Twitter, but then also has appeared in our shows from time to time and just has a really funny sense of humor. But uh, Mark Hazlett, he's not on social media. He's only on there to prowl and, and find these kinds <laughs> of jokes. Um, but he is the guy. And then it's it's been really cool of our... Um, management to allow them to do that and and to use their creativity and it and it is very funny although um i'm trying to think there was a series oh it was um they had something about russell westbrook and his i think it was his plus minus or something when the celtics played the lakers and they, they did not appreciate that russell and the lakers and the nba did not appreciate that one did you guys and, care and they heard about it did, did um, you care? Did you, you guys care at all if somebody doesn't appreciate it, or are you just doing it for you guys? Mike, you know these decisions are made way above my head. This is uh, <laughs> and all I can say is that nothing has changed. So that Good. is what I know. I love that. <laughs> but I do think they're hilarious. Although I will say I would like them to cut my head out of it sometimes because I I don't need to be. <laughs> well, what do the play, What do the players <laughs> think about it? What, what do the players think about it when, when they read, read some of them? Um, some of, I, I'm not sure how much they watch our coverage. I think uh, some of them are we tweet it from time to time if it gets screen grabbed um, and ask about it, but, or if we ask them about it, they will speak to it. But I don't think they mind. I mean, Al Horford knows he has beautiful eyes. 
and his sister, <laughs> Anna Horford, who um, is very also vocal on Twitter, will retweet them sometimes. So I, he does see it. <laughs> But, and, it, and we are the Celtics broadcasting network, home of the Celtics. We're not going to say anything disparaging about our guys. So Exactly. But, but I, I, I would just think back as a player, I would wonder what, what are they going to say about me? You know, what, what, <laughs> what, what, loves what are they going to say? Pound cake. Yeah, That's there you go. Say, Mike. Loves, loves a good donut or key lime pie. It's exactly right. <laughs> Max and Mark would love to hear that. Yeah. You know, lo- you, love you, that. You want to see what's next. Yes. Uh, Abby, we really appreciate, uh, appreciate the time. And, uh, Let's, let's see where the rest of this series going. The way it's going, uh, we're going to get seven great games. I know either Boston or Golden State would, fans would rather not see seven games, but we as an impartial in this uh, would love to see the seven, and uh, we look forward to your coverage along the way. Thank you so much for having me. All right, again, that was Abby Chin from NBC Sports, Boston Celtics, uh, she's a host and reporter. I kind of love how they kind of do that, it, even though it ticks, you know, with the uh, with some of the fonts, even though it ticks off some of the other teams of the NBA. Sports should be fun though, Mike. We should, Isn't that we the should, truth? Like TV is so serious all the time. Why do we have to make everything so serious? Could not agree more. I mean, it's a game, have some fun, you know? As long mm-hmm. as you're not being personally derogatory. Now, we know Russell Westbrook has had issues before when he was called Westbrook, oh, yeah. all of a sudden he had a problem. Right. You know, I mean, when he was saying, oh, my kids hear that and blah. I mean, come on. I mean, I, West Brick, that's, that's where we're, that's the hill we're going to go on that. Uh, you well, know, fans people, are you know, mean. you know, more than anything, sports fans will take things way too far when it comes to antagonizing oh, they, athletes. They, they will, but <laughs> they will, but saying West Brick, I mean, uh, listen, you can't be any more tame than Westbrook. I've heard of a lot of a worse things. Than, I mean, than... your last name is Golick. I can't imagine that. Uh, exactly. You never got me fun of for that. Uh, imagine some of the things that are said. I mean, man, you just got to laugh stuff off. But but hey, you know, what, what, what are you going to do? Uh, I think a guy that might be uh, laughing all the way to the bank. And, and I think, too, just laughing maybe at what was surrounding this story was you know we got to talk a little NFL. Really, the news is Aaron Donald signing that mm-hmm. um, signing that extension through twenty four for another ninety five million dollars. I mean, just and listen, you, you pay a man what is worth. He's been the best defensive player oh, yeah. in the game for a number of years no right now. Don't even bat an eye at that. But the thing, and I know you and I were were chatting about uh, off air, Jess, was the ridiculous notion that he was actually going to retire. I mean, yes. and the people that were buying into that, 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 that just really kind of makes me chuckle. Well, I mean, he, he took a leaf out of Sean McVay's book too, right? Cause didn't yeah. Sean McVay have a similar, yeah. like retire. I don't know how long I want to coach football thing. And then it's like, mm, do you have a contract that's expiring? Because exactly. you're like 30, like you're probably going to keep coaching for a while, but Mike, if you ever threaten to retire from DraftKings, we're all going to see right through it. Now it's just taking a leaf out of Aaron Donald's book. Oh, I, just I'm just gonna, money. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to say, hey, I want more money or I'm going away. You know, I mean, that's that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, because that started, I know, right, because I covered the Super Bowl this year. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that started, uh, I think, with Rodney Harrison's report that, you know, if they won, he would think about, you know, talk about retiring. And I was just like, I, I just I just don't buy it. Now, we are seeing some guys retire earlier you know, seven, eight years in the league, you know, they, they want to get yeah, out somewhat healthy and such. But when a man is on the precipice of making that much money, that's really not the time I think someone's going to walk away from the game, whether it's right. a coach who just became a Super Bowl winning coach 
or the best defensive player in a game and, and a walk-in Hall of Famer, one of the greatest all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, to not be able to see through the crystal clear glass of, boy, I'm in line for a hell of a lot of money and I'm going to take my swing at it. Yeah, well, I'm very happy for Aaron Donald. He was one yes. of the first NFL players I ever ever interviewed as like a professional, and he's just like, by all accounts, a great guy. So happy for him and excited to watch him keep playing. I mean, if he retired, it would be just so boring, right? Like, oh, I'd much rather see him keep playing. He's so much fun to play, and I always like the stories like uh, Mike tells. My son Mike, when Mike was playing at Notre Dame, Aaron Donald was at yeah, Pitt, and they played Pitt. against they played against oh, I was one there. Another. I was at one of those games. And, and Mike says all he, he tries to do, you know, obviously he says, I, you know, you try and do your best, keep your head above water. He goes, but when it comes to draft day, I don't want to be on another guy's highlight reel. You know, I, I don't. <laughs> right. when, when Aaron Donald gets picked, I don't want one of his highlights to be him beating me. Yes. And he goes, I was happy. I felt good that I wasn't on that reel. So <laughs> that's, how, that's how Mike rates his play against uh, some, of those, some of those top players because he's played against more than a few of them. And, and fortunate <laughs> for him, he hasn't made the highlight reel against him on draft day. So everybody has their little goals in life. And I know that, that's been Gojo's for a bit. That's a good goal. All right, so Jess, you keep making the uh, the baked goods. Uh, we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Uh, I have uh, the Golden Family Foundation. We have a golf tournament here at Notre Dame that you're going to be playing in. So we'll be uh, together for that one. We'll chat about that a little bit more. But uh, I look forward to uh, to seeing you because then I know I'm that much closer to eating some baked goods from you. Now I'm going to have to plan on making some cookies or something. That is a given. <laughs>